but it wasn't helping me feel like a success. It was making me feel like I was a failure at trying to be a success through mindset work, which was doubly difficult. So that for me was really kind of pivotal was reach for the best feeling thought you have access to right now. That's going to make you feel just a little bit better. I was not a Girl Scout, but I love merit badges. As in, few things thrill me more than earning recognition for learning or doing something. I have been chasing merit badges all my life, so much so that the pursuit of merit badges has often led me away from what I really want out of life and toward what will earn me the next badge. I've taken numerous jobs I didn't want just to get the merit badge. I've agreed to plenty of collaborations I didn't really want just to get the merit badge. And I've chased a bunch of goals that didn't really inspire me just to get the merit badge. Every merit badge I earn is just another attempt to prove to myself that I'm good enough, that I'm worthy. And each merit badge I earn only convinces me that the next merit badge will be the one that finally makes me happy. It's only been in the last couple of years that I made this realization, and I did so with the support of my husband, my team, and some coaching. Now that I know about my merit badge pattern, I'm always on the lookout for it. I've rearranged my goal setting, planning, and decision making so that I have a better opportunity to notice when I'm stretching towards something I really want or gunning for another merit badge. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that digs deep into what's really working to run and grow a small business today, from how we market and manage to how we prime our mindset for success. Now, I know I'm not the only person who always has her eye on the next merit badge. There is a good chance that as a listener of this show, you're also keen on collecting accomplishments and achievements. Maybe that's been helpful for you, and maybe it's gotten you off track. Maybe it's been a result of your own sense of self-worth, and maybe, like me, it's been an attempt to prove it. Now, my guest today found herself in a similar situation to me, always trying to prove she was good enough by climbing the rungs of her chosen career ladder, opera singing. But when she earned the merit badge she had most wanted her whole life, she realized that she still wasn't happy. Now, I'll let her tell that story, but listener... I can relate. And that's why I so wanted to bring Sharin Eskandani onto the show. Sharin has done a lot of work on rewriting this pattern, and she's found support for that work through coaching. And today, Sharin is not a full-time opera singer, although she could be. She's a full-time coach herself. Sharin is a life coach, public speaker, and writer who specializes in mindfulness and mindset work. She's been a featured wellness expert on the Today Show and Cosmopolitan magazine. Sharin's holistic approach to transformation is influenced by her background in meditation, spirituality, and the arts. Now, in this episode, we talk about what happened when Sharin achieved her childhood dream and realized she still wasn't happy, as well as how she started to choose the thoughts that would help her feel the way she wants to feel, made the leap to coaching, and found her why. We also talk about coaching as a support structure and how coaching can help you embrace who you really want to be. Now, let's find out what works for Sharin Eskandani. Sharin Eskandani, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled. I am also thrilled. I think this is going to be a really great conversation and is also going to just shed some light on something that 
I think people think they know, but maybe don't really know about. So we're talking all about coaching today. But before we can get to that, um, I'd love to start things out with the story of the day. As you said, you woke up. So can you tell us about getting the call to perform in Carmen at the Met? Yeah. So my childhood dream had always been to to be an opera singer and to sing at the Metropolitan Opera. Um, I come from a super musical family. It seems like a really odd dream when you say that, but I just, you know, I just knew. And so um, I just pursued that dream with so much passion and love and joy. I mean, really singing was, was the joy of my life. And so I um, grew up in Canada, went to a great school undergrad, and, and there I was kind of like a big fish in a little pond. Um, I was really talented. I was highly productive, highly driven, highly motivated kid. And so all of those things combined, I really did really well there. But what it also meant was I'd never kind of addressed all those inner insecurities, right? Because I was always just depending on being the best. As long mm-hmm. as I'm the best, everything's fine. And so I moved to New York. I got accepted into a really great master's here. Um, I still live in New York. And I realized that everyone here is the best and everyone here is super driven. Everyone is talented. And not having that identity of being the best kind of took me into a tailspin where all those insecurities took over. Um, I'm someone who is um, a perfectionist. I always say like a recovering perfectionist because those tendencies don't go anywhere. Um, I'm an overachiever, a people pleaser. And so I started doing the work from that place. And what's unfortunate, but also fortunate about those uh, mechanisms is that they actually get us very far. They're rewarded in our society, right? And so I was, I was creating the career I always wanted. I was working full time in the US and in Europe as an opera singer. And from the outside, I was a success um, doing the things I wanted to be doing, but my life didn't feel the way that I thought it was going to feel. I was exhausted. I was miserable. It never felt like it was enough, no matter what I achieved, all I could focus on was what I should be doing better and what my colleagues were doing. And so it was just this endless cycle of achieving and never feeling like enough. And the moment that you talk about, I was pretty much on the verge of burnout. I didn't know what burnout was at the time, but I was really just saying, okay, I can't sing anymore because this is that thing that brought me so much joy is now making me miserable. And my agent called me, this was in 2016, and he said, Sharin, the Metropolitan Opera wants you to sing in Carmen next season. Like literal childhood dream come true. Nothing could have been more perfect about this dream. Nothing. And this was a moment I dreamed of for so long as a young girl. Like I thought I'd be filled with so much joy and happiness. And as a young woman in my 20s, I always thought that, you know, I'd say to myself, if you ever get this job, you'll know you're good enough. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget being on that call and having that like initial moment of joy and then realizing, oh my gosh, like this isn't enough. I still don't feel like I'm good enough. I, this isn't enough to prove to me that I'm a success or that my life is fulfilling. I didn't have any of those feelings that I thought I was going to feel. And it made me realize that no external circumstance will ever make us feel the way that we want to feel. That responsibility isn't on the outside, isn't on what we do, but it's on what we're doing on the inside. And so I had a year and a half to prepare 
for when I sang at the Met. And in that year and a half, of course, I worked on my craft, but I also worked on my mindset, my emotional health, my spiritual health, my mental health. And I was doing mindset work and mindfulness. And I started working with a coach. And all of those things combined really transformed my life um, to the point where I say that my biggest success in life wasn't singing at the Met, but it was singing at the Met and enjoying every part of that process, which included the moments where I didn't do so well, which included the moments where, you know, things did not go as planned. Um, but I had built up such incredible resilience. I had built up such a great toolkit um, to take care of myself and navigate those hard moments um, that, that I could just be in the joy of it. And so that's kind of my big aha moment. And it also brought me to my second career, which is now coaching. Um, so yeah, so that's how I got here. And that's when I kind of woke up. Wow. Well, <laughs> I did not aspire to be an opera singer. However, there are big parts of your story, or at least sort of the broad stroke parts of your story that feel so freaking familiar to me. Um, that feeling of always striving, always chasing uh, the next merit badge. I was just writing about that yesterday in regards to goal setting, like always like, what is that next thing that I can get to prove to myself I'm good enough to prove to myself that I'm worthy to prove to other people that I'm worth taking up space in life, in time, in their lives. Um, it just feels incredibly familiar. So I'd love to dig into to this story more, but specifically the, the part of the, the healing, the mindset work that you did. Can you talk us through what some of the, what that process looked like, what maybe what some of the tools that you learned through the coaching process to help you get to that point of building resistance, resilience of being able to overcome things when they go wrong? Can you talk us through that? Yeah, there was a lot of things. Um, but when it comes to mindset work, right, it's really that you get to choose your thoughts. You get to choose which thoughts you believe. And I'd never really known that, right? When I heard that truth, it just completely blew my mind because I always thought my thoughts are my thoughts. This is how I think. And most of us are having really negative thoughts. It's just the way the mind is wired. It's called the negativity bias. And I think a lot of us also grow up in cultures and in a society that tells us expect the worst, be surprised by the best. Right. And so um, as a first generation immigrant kid, um, I grew up with a lot of struggles and difficulty. And I think that's kind of what I saw and the mindset my family was in. And so it's always about expecting the worst, um, always thinking that you're the one who can fix everything. So if something goes wrong, you're a failure. This is your fault. It was because of X, Y and Z. And so mindset work really transformed my life, which was like, OK, really get clear on how you are thinking really write down all of those thoughts and work through them. Is it true that you're a failure? Is it true that, you know, you are not worthy? And these are really big, big questions that take time to sift through because there's always going to be a part of you that's like, yeah, you're a total failure. And it's working with all of that um, and finding the truth that you can find right now. Whenever I do mindset work, um, it's tough because I think in the world of coaching, we see a lot of affirmations, positive affirmations, which is like, go from, you know, I'm a failure to I'm a success or I am enough. But if for 30 plus years, you've been saying to yourself, I'm a failure, you can't go to I'm a success the next day. And so what I do with my clients and the work that I, I did 
was I say, okay, those are Mount Everest thoughts, great thoughts, thoughts that we're working towards, but you got to just work your way up to the next summit. You know, I always say reach for the best feeling thought you have access to. And I think that's where I didn't connect with a lot of the coaching work was that they were saying these things that I really wanted to believe and I couldn't. And it was making me feel worse, right? It wasn't helping me feel like like a success. It was making me feel like I was a failure at trying to be a success through mindset work, which was doubly difficult. So that for me was really kind of pivotal was reach for the best feeling thought you have access to right now. That's going to make you feel just a little bit better, you know? Yes, I love that. I put a giant star next to it in my (laughs) note. (laughs) Um, And I've heard something similar before in regards to coaching and mindset work and and thought thought work. Um, But I haven't heard it put quite that way. And I really love that. Um, So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, All right. So let's actually actually back up a step because I kind of I kind of forgot a step, which is how did you find out about coaching in the first place? Like what made you think, oh, I should hire a coach now? So it's a funny story because I literally had not really heard of coaching. And if I had, I was very familiar, I think, with like the Tony Robbins of the world, Mm -hmm. which didn't seem like the type of coaching I wanted. Um, And so I was actually listening to a podcast and there was a coach on it. And everything she said completely resonated with where I was at in my life. And um, she was actually a relationship and dating coach because, listen, I was making some terrible decisions in that (laughs) arena for quite some time. So she was just talking and I was like, whoa, this is me. This is me. And so I, you know, I had done therapy. I love therapy so, so much. Coaching is different. You know, um, and there's many different streams of coaching and it's finding the one that fits your kind of who you are and where you're at in life. Um, but this was coaching that was going to go deep, but then, okay, we go deep, but what can we do now to work with kind of the trauma or the wounds that we have? Whereas therapy is great, but therapy is a lot about unpacking that and staying there, which I think is super important to be self-aware. But then you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, I get it. These are the things, these are the patterns, these are the habits I fall into. What do I do now? And that's what my coach was able to kind of give me, which was, let's acknowledge and give space to the trauma, the wounds, and, you know, the habits that have formed from that. But then like, now let's, let's create something beyond that to get where you want to go. Gotcha. So did you, the, the the coach that you heard on the podcast, was that the coach that you hired? Did you, did did you find? Okay. All right. I did. Yeah. And what did that, uh, like, I'm curious what was happening in your head when you were like, I'm going to give this a try. What did that sound like? What did that feel like? Girl, I was like, what are you doing? Like this, <laughs> a coach? Who are you? Were you from California? Like, what is this? Uh, but you know, like I, I had kind of reached rock bottom and I, I knew I had to try something different. And I will tell you, it was a year long program um, and it was well beyond what I'd ever paid for, for that kind of thing. Mm. And I remember paying that deposit and instantly regretting it instantly being like, Oh my God, maybe I can call visa, say this is some sort of scam. I don't know. But, um, so there was that fear there. Cause I, this was so unknown to me. Um, and also I'd never really invested that much money in myself in a conscious way, meaning like I probably spent 
similar amount at H&M or, you know, um, Mm -hmm. on Amazon. But to say I'm investing this much money monthly for my self growth and being in this unknown place of, is this going to work was terrifying. Uh, but it was really the leap and the step that I needed to take because it really helped me heal a lot of, uh, that mindset stuff that I've been stuck in and, you know, brought me to my second career. You know, I always say that how you do one thing is how you do everything. So even though it was a dating and relationship coach, it was, it, it went well beyond that. Right. Um, but it completely transformed my life career wise, relationship wise. I really found my husband because of that work. Um, and just how I live my own personal life. Incredible. We'll find out more about Sharin's journey into coaching in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partners. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. People want to connect, but our time, capacity, and bandwidth for yet another video call or Facebook group is extremely limited. People want support, and we also want to know we're talking to people who share our goals and values. People want to learn, and we want to collaborate while we do it. Now, of course, I know you want these things for your customers too. You want to connect them to each other. You want them to feel supported and you want them to learn and grow. Mighty Networks makes it easy for you to help your customers do all of these things all in one place. When you start a Mighty Network, you make it easy for your customers to connect to each other, to support each other, and to learn from each other. And of course, your Mighty Network also makes it easy for you to connect with, support, and teach your customers too. Use your Mighty Network as a private social network to help them communicate and collaborate. Use your Mighty Network as a learning management system to help you deliver high-quality online courses. Use your Mighty Network as a support hub to help you answer questions and offer insight. And of course, use your Mighty Network as a payment processor so your customers can easily pay you for all the value you're creating. Get started with a Mighty Network free of charge by going to MightyNetworks.com. I also wanted to tell you a bit more about money and the new economy, an online gathering the What Works Network is hosting June 10th through 12th. This gathering is a celebration of how much we have each learned about money and our relationship to it as small business owners and how much there is still left to learn. It's a celebration of how much things are changing. And while it might be scary, the opportunities we have to claim a new relationship to money and the chance we have to build stronger communities because of that new relationship. Now, my own relationship to money has changed drastically over the time I've been in business. In the beginning, I was working for latte money. Then I realized that I could bring in more in one month than I did in a year at my old job. And I had to get serious about where that money was going. I had to learn that the money the business earned was not my money. I had to learn how to invest in people, in their salaries and benefits. I had to learn how to take real risks and deal with the fallout when they didn't work. I had to learn that more money isn't necessarily better and that running a business that works really well can mean steady, sustainable revenue instead of exponential growth. Over the last 10 years, everything I thought I knew about money has changed. And over the last eight weeks, I've questioned even more about what I thought I had learned about money in that time. That's why we're gathering smart, experienced small business owners like you for an extended conversation about money and the new economy. This gathering is designed to connect you to people who are thinking about and acting on money differently. 
We're founders, creators, service providers, designers, artists, educators, and trainers. We operate businesses of one, as well as businesses that employ small teams. Many of us have been running our businesses for five years or more. And when you join us for this event, you'll be learning from our speakers, of course, and you'll also be learning from other attendees. You'll share your experiences and they'll learn from you too. Money and the New Economy is a live and interactive experience with an opportunity to learn, discuss, reflect, and challenge yourself. We kick things off on June 10th with a welcome reception so you can prepare for the rest of the experience and get to know others who are participating. Then on Thursday, June 11th, we'll meet together for the full day to talk pricing, money mindset, habits, business finances, and more. And then on Friday, June 12th, we'll come back together one more time to debrief in our closing reception. There are no travel expenses, no jet lag, and hopefully minimal childcare arrangements. To learn more about money and the new economy and to grab your ticket to the gathering, go to explorewhatworks.com slash money. And we do have need-based tickets available to experienced small business owners who have been impacted by our current economic crisis. Again, go to explorewhatworks.com slash money to get your ticket. So when did you start thinking, oh, maybe this coaching thing is for me? Maybe this is what I want to do with my life. So it was halfway through the program. So like six months into the program, um, I knew for me with singing, while I love to sing, one of the things I wanted to do was find my love of singing again and then make the decision whether I wanted to leave or not. And that's something I do with my clients so often is a lot of my clients come to me in a place where they're so exhausted and miserable and burnt out by their jobs, but oftentimes they're jobs they used to really love. And so it's really about finding the love again. And when we can make an empowered decision, whether to stay or go, that's when we make like really good decisions. Right. And so I, I found that love again. And and I really asked myself, is this, is this for you? And when it came down to it, it was a no, the lifestyle of being a singer is hard. I think that, um, when your passion and your source of income are one and the same, it's, it's very hard to navigate, but also there's no real agency within the arts sometimes. Um, and I'm a creative person, but I didn't feel like I'd be as creative as I wanted. And so, I, I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to leave. And when I found coaching, I found that vehicle. Um, and I talk about this often in the work I do. At the time, I felt like such a millennial, zillennial, I don't know what I am, but whatever I am, I don't know what I am. Uh, I'm in my mid I like Oregon Trail generation. <laughs> That's what I Because it sounds like we're about the same age. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Um, and so I felt like such a stereotype, you know, the stereotype of, oh, I'm going to be like an artist one day and now I'm going to be a coach and now I'm, and I, and I had all this shame around that. Um, but then I figured out, you know, some of the work I do, a lot of the work I do is figuring out my clients why which is really your purpose, which is your mission statement in life. And I, cause I, all the work I do is the work I do with clients, the work I did on myself. And when I found out my why, which was to transform, to connect and transform people through joy, I realized that for a long time, singing was the vehicle for that why. And now coaching is that vehicle for that why. And what that vehicle is going to be in 10 years, I don't know. But I know what my why is. And when you know your why, the what doesn't really matter, right? As long as that what is an expression of it. And so um, in that process, I was just like, yes, coaching is the thing. I get to connect with people. I get to transform people. 
And, and yeah, I just made that leap and I've been kind at the beginning, I was doing more singing than coaching. Mm -hmm. And now three years in, it's pretty much full-time coaching. And I do singing gigs that bring me joy or that I like, but it's not my source of income really. Incredible. I love that. Um, what role does coaching play in your life now? Not not as a professional coach, but as someone who knows the value of coaching. Are you coaching yourself? Do you still work with a coach? Do you work with a coach intermittently? Tell us about that side of things. Yeah, I love coaching. Coaching, I'm always investing um, in a coach or in a coaching program either or. Um, I think lately because I've been, I really have built up my emotional resiliency. Um, I, I, I probably say that a lot of people listening, if they have their own businesses, they'll, they'll find some truth in this. You know, you launch a business that's your, your love and you're like, this is amazing. And then you're like, oh crap, I have a business and I yeah. don't know what, to, what do I do with the business? And so right now, a lot of that has been about, um, business coaching, which okay. I do think kind of reflects what's happening on the inside. Cause a lot of our decisions and business are emotionally, um, based. Um, and it has a lot to do with worth and, and value. Good God, charging someone for something is not just about a number. It's about what you think you're worth. And so a lot of that has been around business coaching, but I really love coaching. And I always, I actually have money always put aside that I'm saving up for a coaching program or put aside for, you know, when I want to work with this coach or that coach. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, what else does the rest of your personal support team look like? So you've, you've got at least somebody that you're working with as a coach on a regular basis. Who else do you have in your corner supporting you as you hone your craft and build your business? So I, first of all, my husband, such a great support. He does not do the same work that I do, but he's my sounding board and my kind of emotional coach at times. Uh, so that I'm very lucky in that, but I have found this amazing group of women, coaches, business um, entrepreneurs via Instagram. Mm. And we like now it's been a couple years where it started with like just a gentle DM or a gentle comment on their page. And now we have full blown connections. We, you know, we'll probably meet up informally a couple times a month just to kind of talk through things. We'll text each other. That has been really great because, you know, you're going through a launch. It doesn't matter what, what field you're in. A launch is a launch and you're going to have moments where you're like, oh my God, is this working? Like, hello, hello. And just to have that support system of like, yes, don't worry. Like, or sending things off to them. Can you read through this copy? Can you read through this? What about this pricing? That's been an incredible resource for me. And that was kind of a bit of a scary, courageous leap of reaching out to these women and connecting with them. But that has been so, so integral to the growth of my business, to how confident I feel in my business. Got it. Um, let's talk a little bit more about your business and the coaching work that you do with your clients. What do you find are some of the common reasons that people come to you and want to work with you in a coaching modality? I think the phrase I most often hear is, I still don't know what I'm doing with my life, mm. or I can't just seem to figure out what to do with this life. And um, a lot of my clients come to me in a transitional point, whether that is that they've already made that transition of leaving a career or they're really seriously considering 
leaving a career. I find most often than not, my clients, I call them, they're very good at being good. So Mm -hmm. whatever they do, they excel at. And that's a problem because then they don't know what it is that they actually want to do. And so I think in our 20s, we fall into these careers um, that we're good at, that we should be doing, we're supposed to be doing. And then you kind of reach this age where you're like, wait a second, is this really what I want to be doing, even though I'm good at it? And so it's figuring out what that next step may be for them. And so those are those are kind of the bulk of my clients I find are and they're very again, I'm sure you find this too with your the people you work with, very similar to me, right? High achieving, people pleasing perfectionists who want to find a bit of joy and ease in that process. That was a big thing for me too was okay, when I created my business, I was like, I know this can go the way of my singing career where this beautiful passion becomes you know, a source of stress. So how do I put within the business ease and joy? And like, that's what creates resilience, right? And so that's been a big part of the foundation of my business is building these blocks in where I can have ease and joy. Gotcha. I want to talk a little bit about the process and tools that you use with your clients. But before we get there, I'd also like to talk about the relationship that you have with your coaching clients, because I think that's another place where there's confusion about what a coach is um, and how you work with a coach. Because uh, you mentioned therapy earlier, and a lot mm-hmm. of people have um, at least some some reference point to what a therapist-patient or therapist-client relationship looks like. But I think many fewer people have a a reference point for what a coach-client relationship looks like. When you're entering into a new relationship with a client or even looking at ongoing relationships with clients, how would you characterize that relationship? How do you think about it and frame it up for yourself? Yeah. um, And every coach is different. Um, Mm -hmm. With coaching, there is an accountability part to it. Right. So I think when it comes to uh, therapy, you may have weekly sessions, biweekly or uh, bimonthly. But kind of between those sessions, there probably isn't a lot of communication between the client and, you know, the therapist. Um, With coaching, because there is that accountability piece, whether it is creating goals or creating deadlines or creating new habits, there's a lot more, I think, checking in. Um, my clients and I, you know, it is a very professional, I, I like to create a very professional container because I want them to feel safe. You know, I feel like, um, as much as you want to get friendly or personal with people, I think that's when that sense of safety kind of goes away. Um, but, but it is, it is friendly at the same time too. I don't even ask me how I strike that balance, (laughs) but, but, but I really am, you know, I always say, um, People around us, you know, sometimes you'll say to to someone you love, like, oh, I think I'm going to do this. Or, oh, I realize that, like, I'm really capable of X, Y, and Z. And they'll say to you, yeah, I knew that all along. And I always say, you got to borrow others' belief in you sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I am. I am this pool of belief in all of my clients. Um, and it's it's them kind of borrowing that belief until they have built up their own reserve of belief. Um, and so that means that maybe we'll be communicating a little bit more. Maybe we'll be um, emailing to some of my clients. I offer, um, you know, Voxer to just really feel like I'm there in the corner with them. Mm, yeah, that's. I think that's a, a helpful way to put that. Um, so tell us about your process then. When you're working with a new client, where do you start and where do you go from there? You always start in the muck, right? Okay. You gotta, <laughs> just 
never fun. So if you're a one-on-one client with me, the first session is around 90 minutes. And it's a lot about like, what is kind of holding you back? One of my colleagues, I think, described coaching so perfectly in that he said, imagine there's three versions of you in a room. There's the version of you in the present that's on this side where you're standing and the version of you that you desire to be across the room, whether that's a person who's accomplished certain things or feels a certain way about herself, whatever that is. And in the middle of that room is the version of you that always gets in the way, you know, mm-hmm. through habits or things that they do or things that they say. And with coaching, it's about, okay, yes, you can get to the other side of the room without addressing who's in the middle, but are you going to be able to sustain it? And is it going to feel the way you want it to feel? We have to address what's going on with that person in the middle. So it always kind of starts with that muckiness. And I always find people, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm crying. As if you're not supposed to cry when you're like, we're going through some serious stuff here. Everything we do originated because of a really smart coping mechanism at the time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's, it's really figuring out what that coping mechanism is, where it started and how we can start to kind of let go of that grip that coping mechanism has on your present day. So really it is, you know, people think it's going to be this, it is light and joyful work. Um, because I think that's the process I lead them through. Mm -hmm. Um, but it involves having to go through, you know, kind of that muck. And then once we're on the, you're never on the other side of the muck ever really. Um, But once we have a little bit more awareness, then we can start creating real tangible tools for your day to day that can help you navigate whatever comes up. Gotcha. You know, I think that it's probably at this point in the conversation, easy for people to think, all right, then, you know, if if I'm, this sounds great, but I'm not really in a crisis. Maybe I don't even feel like I'm in the muck right now. Is there a place in coaching for those people as well? How, I guess my, I guess the question is sort of like, when do we seek out a coach? When is a coach helpful in terms of uh, helping us reach our goals or helping us work through whatever it is that, that we're, we're dealing with? I think if you're facing any big decision and you're finding yourself in a really indecisive place, if you mm. find yourself not feeling the way you want to feel in your life, but you feel like you're doing the right quote unquote things, um, those to me are cues that you're actually really not following. I'm a, so a big part of my work is listening to yourself. I believe all of us know what is best. I always say, you know best. And the work we're just doing is uncovering all that stuff that's stopping you from listening to yourself. So I, I find, you know, while you're like, oh, there's there's no muck. There, I'm, I'm fine. Um, that muck is, is making a lot of decisions for you right now, right? Mm. People pleasing, perfectionism, overachieving. Those aren't who we are. Those are us hustling for our worth you are inherently worthy, right? And so if you live your life from that scope, you're making decisions that are based just for you, not what you think society is going to think is the coolest thing, not what you think your parents and family are going to think is okay, but really what you want to be doing. And that's really scary stuff. And so, um, yeah, if you're finding you're in this place of like, I should be feeling like this is good enough, or um, I can't seem to figure out whether I want to stay in this job, this relationship. Those are times when I find coaching is super, super helpful. It's like having a personal trainer for your life, right? I'm a coach. I don't, I don't want my clients to be working with me all the time. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I want to give them the tools where they can use it and go off in the world, do their thing. That is, that is what my coach did for me. And that is what I want to give to other people as well. 
Gotcha. Yeah. All right. You have given us just such a great crash course into how coaching fits in uh, to the support that we seek out and sort of what coaching is all about, what the process looks like, what the relationship looks like. I am so grateful for that. Uh, So Sharon, before we kind of um, sign off for today, I'd love to just hear about what you're excited about right now. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I... Right now, we're recording this in the midst of COVID nineteen. Yeah. Um, so it's I I was going to be doing a, a retreat in July in Mexico, mm. and of course I've canceled that. But from that, I've pivoted and I'm taking that retreat and making it into an online course. Love so it. I'm super excited about that. I'm I'm excited about the fact that. I was able to pivot that, you know, sometimes we get so we cling on to how it was supposed to be that we don't even want to see what's possible. And so that for me was like a big sign of like, okay, the work is working where I had my little, you know, pity party, which is so important. I'm a big fan of pity parties, cry it out. (laughs) Um, Let the emotions flow. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going to pivot. And so right now I'm kind of creating the the content for that, um, kind of finding the team to help me launch that. And so that's what I'm super excited about. And that's kind of keeping me really busy during a very uncertain time. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a name for it that we can look out for? Yeah. So um, so the work I do is called Inner, I say I do Inner Compass work. So this is mm. Inner Compass, the course. Um, and it's going to be the foundation of the work that I do with my clients um, that'll help you kind of become your own inner compass again. I love it. Sharon, thank you so much for this conversation and sharing your story and sharing just your professional experience as a coach and uh, sort of how we can plug into coaching as we need support. Thank you so, so much for having me, Tara. This was so much fun. Thank you. Find out more about Sharin Eskandani at wholehearted-coaching.com and find the Wholehearted Coaching Podcast wherever you listen to What Works. Now, next on What Works, we're getting cozy with money. We're looking at how your relationship to money can change as your business grows and evolves. I'll be sharing how my relationship to money has shifted over the years and the new questions I'm asking myself today. You'll also hear from Marie Poulin about how finding an unexpected focus has changed her relationship to money, as well as how Tiffany Whips went from feather money to finding the space to create the jewelry she really wants to make, and why Jennifer Patterson chose a sliding scale model for her business. If you want to get in on this extended conversation about money, you've got to join us for Money and the New Economy. It's the online gathering we're hosting June 10th, 11th, and 12th, all about navigating money and our relationship to it in a rapidly changing economy. We're going to be asking tough questions and challenging long-held assumptions about how we earn, save, and spend. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash money to get your ticket. Now, this event is happening soon, and there are need-based tickets available for experienced small business owners who have been impacted by our current economic crisis. So go to explorewhatworks.com slash money and register now. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistant is Kristen Runbeck. Find over 270 more episodes of What Works and sign up for our free weekly newsletter full of ideas, inspiration, and reflections on building a business that works better at explorewhatworks.com.